0: Our text is Revelation chapter 20 and verses 11 through 15 as I talk on the doctrine of eternal damnation. Now, you'll want to write down in your pastor's notes if you want to, there, the little paper you get uh, in the bulletin, that blank paper, if you want to write notes. I won't give you a lot of uh, scriptural references that I've already got, I've already found them, so you're just going to not be able to turn your pages as fast, but you may want to write them down because it's always good to check the scriptures to see if those things are so. As I said earlier, we've got our good friends, Larry and Hilda Cornelius from Pensacola. And I tell you, we've been best buddies for a long, long time, and so great to have them here. But the only problem is is that when we get together, I told them last night they're my 20-pound friends. They can be here for two days, and we're 20 pounds more by the time they leave. And yet that is scriptural. They that put their trust in the Lord shall be made fat, Proverbs tells us. And... uh, Seems like we're on that way. Isn't that interesting? We are in the only country in history where the rich and the famous people are starving themselves to death. And the poorest among us weigh 400 pounds. Okay. Why does that happen? But only in America, as they say. But that's the way it is. Well, let's get down to business here in Revelation chapter 20, beginning with verse 11. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now shall we have a word of prayer? <clears throat> Father, we uh, realize the seriousness of this subject. It's right. It represents the holiness of an almighty, all-holy God. And yet, Lord, there's no joy for us to think of people going to hell and eternity into the lake of fire. But we must warn. And we will rejoice if there are those who will heed that warning. So, Lord, I pray that we'll all draw our attention. May the Holy Ghost just give me that utterance that does not allow anyone to be indifferent to the word of God. May he be the power in my voice that holds their attention. And may he take that message home to the heart of each individual under the sound of my voice in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The doctrine of eternal damnation is both shocking and horrible to sensitive people. Yet this doctrine has been given sufficient place in Scripture, so much so that it cannot be overlooked in just a casual reading of God's Word. You, You cannot miss this. The first death was spiritual death. We were made in God's image, and when we're made in God's image, God is a spirit, so the image that we were made in is a spirit. We were made in God's image, not our body, it's our spirit. When Adam and Eve sinned, our spirit was separated from God, forever doomed for a Christless eternity in a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not the desire that we should want for any man. No one. And yet, we are born spiritually dead because our first parents sinned and we inherit that sin nature from them. And if that was all I could tell you today, then it'd be senseless to meet here because we'd have no hope. But there is hope. And that's the good thing I want you to know. There is hope. Now, there's another death. There's the physical death. At physical death, this spirit separates from my body. This body will pass away, turn to dust. And when there's a resurrection, I'll have a new body, fashioned like unto his glorious body. The people in hell, I don't know what kind of body they have, to be quite honest with you. It may be their old body, but one thing I know about that body they do have, it will also last forever. It'll feel the heat. It'll feel pain. It'll feel torture. It'll know everything there is to know that we experience in this life today. Of that which is not good. That's the way it is. Because God told us about it. And the thing about God's Word, that as you read through it, you find out, That he has made no mistake. The Bible here as we read here. Speaks of the second death. You say what in the world is the second death? The second death is simply this. If your spirit leaves your body. That is your body dies and your spirit leaves. And you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've not been saved. Your spirit will be forever doomed to hell and the lake of fire, never able to cease to exist, never able to escape, no hope. That's why this message this morning and the rest of tonight is so important. The first thing I want you to get an idea, though, here is the scene of our text, because it's at the great white throne, You say, well, what is the great white throne? We hear judgments and all that. What is that all about? Well, I want us to build up to that first. And this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to build up to the white throne judgment. Then tonight, we're going to look at the white throne judgment. We're going to make comparisons. So let's look at what has already taken place up to this point. The first thing we're looking at is the rapture. The rapture is the next thing to happen as far as major events of prophetic nature on God's calendar. Now, right away, people say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, neither is the word trinity. We can go on about words that are not in the Bible. But the teaching is there. Okay? For an example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 17, it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know, that word caught up comes from the Greek word, uh, it's harpazo. Now, if you've got to be that and you just say it's not in the Bible, I don't see the word rapture. Okay, we're awaiting the Harpezo, man. You know, and, and so it means caught up. That's what rapture means. A rapture, they got that word from the Latin Vulgate that says raptura, and, and so they just took the word, put it in English, rapture. And that's what they use. But actually, it's been caught up. It's that snatching away, that quickness. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as the Bible says, in First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. It happens that quickly. And so, the rapture takes place. And immediately, if you're saved, you're caught up. Whether you've been dead for a hundred years, a thousand years, or whether you just died or you're alive and you remain on this earth and you're caught up to be with the Lord. Whatever it is, the dead in Christ rise first. That's the Methodist. And then the rest of us, okay, just a little joke there. Then the rest of us are caught up to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, immediately, though, we are at the judgment seat of Christ, where every one of us, 2 Corinthians 5.10, says we will give an account of ourselves unto God. The judgment seat of Christ. Now, at this judgment seat, it doesn't determine whether you're going to heaven or hell. If you're at the judgment seat, you're going into heaven. That's settled. It it does not. The judgment seat of Christ will not determine if you're going to heaven or to hell. Nor will the white throne later determine whether you're going to heaven or to hell. The judgment seat, you're already going to heaven. at the white throne, you're already going to the lake of fire. Okay? So, it doesn't determine whether you go to those places. That's already been determined in your life as to whether or not you receive Christ as Savior or not. But at the judgment seat of Christ is a time of reward. Listen as we read here, uh, in, as I read here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, so as by fire. Suffer loss? What does that mean? It means simply this. When you got saved, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You got saved that way. But the verses don't stop there. The narrative goes on. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What does that simply mean? God already has a plan for your life. He had a plan before the foundation of this world. That plan was there. Should you get saved, then it would automatically be applied to your life. I believe that there are people that should have uh, been missionaries and preachers and so forth that never knew they were. When they get to heaven, they'll find out that's what they're supposed to do. There are others should be driving buses, there should be others that are teaching Sunday school, there should be others uh, doing other things in God's house, and they're not doing anything. Because they felt like, you know, I don't, I, I just never thought about it. Well, what can I do? Look, and the reason they didn't know is because they did not seek God's face to know. And they will count the loss. That's what he said, they'll suffer loss. They'll be saved, and the Bible says, so as by fire. In other words, they didn't go to hell. They'll be saved but nothing to show for. After the rapture, there's going to be a seven-year period called, we call the tribulation period. Jeremiah says it's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time as no man has ever known. One thing about the tribulation, one thing about prophecy, it does center around Israel. It centers around Israel. So you look at Israel. And and so it's going to be a seven-year period. You say, that starts with the rapture? I don't know. The rapture will take place before the seven-year tribulation. It could start, start the same day of the rapture. It could be 40 years later. You say, what do you mean, 40 years later? I don't know this. I'm not saying this is a fact, but I'm saying this. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, it talks about the 70 weeks of Daniel. At the end of the 69th week, Messiah is cut off. And that happened when Jesus died on the cross. And the holy city, speaking of Jerusalem, shall be destroyed. Now, it put an and in there to say, and there's something else that's going to happen after that. That is, Jerusalem is destroyed. There's a 40-year period just about between Messiah cut off and Jerusalem destroyed. But that all ends the 69th week. So, 70th week, the rapture. Then what happens after the rapture? Then we find out that there's a world leader. The Bible calls him Antichrist. In some places, other places, it's, it's the beast. Both are pretty well descriptive of the person he is, not necessarily his name. But what I want you to understand about that is, is that as he uh, comes to power, he makes a covenant with Israel. Now, I think he's a European leader, I think that he, he, I think he's of Jewish descent. I think he's of the tribe of Dan, but that's another sermon, so we won't go into that. But I'm just saying that he's a world leader. He confirms a covenant with Israel for one week or for seven years, in other words. In the middle of the week, he breaks that covenant. That's why we say the tribulation is in two, point, uh, two periods. Three and a half years of tribulation, followed by three and a half years of great tribulation. The middle point of that is, this is what happens, is the beast sets up an image of himself to be worshipped. And Israel will know trials like they never knew before, and this world will have judgment on it as it has never known before. At the end of the tribulation, there's a period of there, Jesus is coming back. And there is the battle of Armageddon. Those that have gone to Israel with me, we've seen that valley where Armageddon is, a wide and fertile valley. It's beautiful to see. But I want you to understand that that bl- valley is going to see blood flowing to the horse's bridle. The Bible tells us that. I don't think that's figurative. That, that's actual or literal. All the earth's armies are gathered together in that one place. Millions upon millions. 200 million come from just the kings of the east. In that seven year period, well over half the earth's population will die. So here they are, and then Christ comes back, and he sets up a righteous kingdom. It's called the millennial. We call it the millennial kingdom because it's a 1,000 year reign on earth. When Christ catches up with up to be with him in the sky at the rapture, that's not the second coming, because he doesn't touch the earth. We meet him in the clouds. Second coming is when he touches the earth, it's at the end of the tribulation, and he sets up the righteous kingdom. That is the time. Okay? So, when he's, he's there, that's the second coming, he's touched earth, and now things are set up, a new temple is built, and this uh, thousand years begins. And it's going to be a great time uh, for people in that thousand-year reign. Why? Because Satan will be chained in the bottomless pit for that thousand years. After the thousand years is over, he'll be loose for a short season. About what is a short season? I have no idea, but it will just seem a short season. And then he is destroyed forever forever. Into the lake of fire. And that's what the Bible tells us about that going up to those points. He's there for a short season, and then he's cast into that eternal lake of fire. Uh, verses 11 through 13 are very descriptive here as we look at them. Verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Why? Because at the end of that thousand years, Satan is uh, led out of the pit. Uh, he goes out, and boy, he does some bad things, and then uh, they're destroyed, and there's a white throne judgment. This verse 11 through 13 does not describe who's going to heaven or hell, as we said. It describes the white throne judgment. All those people are going to the lake of fire. They're going from hell. If they were in hell, they hadn't died yet, But they'll go from hell to the lake of fire. You say, what's the difference between hell and the lake of fire? I would say it'd be kind of like this to try to illustrate it. Because the rich man in hell was in flames. He said, I'm tormented in this flame. And yet, the rich man in hell knows that there is still something else coming. By the way, that's 2,000 years ago. And that rich man is still tormented night and day in that hell. But after the white throne judgment... Death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. You say, well, what's that about? Well, let me read about it just a little bit here in Revelation chapter 14. Let's see if I can get to it here real quickly. But in in Revelation chapter 14, we read in verses 10 and 11. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And they shall be tormented... With fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And their smoke is, and their, of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. And you see, what it is, I believe that going from hell to the lake of fire is like going from county jail to a prison. Not a prison like we think of in the United States where they have all these modern conveniences. This place was prepared for the devil and his angels. But that's where they'll go. And they'll be there forever and forever and forever and forever. Verse 12 goes on to say, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Why? Because no one is exempt. If they're without Christ, it doesn't matter whether you're a king or you're a pauper, no matter who you are, if you're without Christ, you're caught up to this throne and you'll be at this judgment if you die without Jesus Christ. And let me say this, they'll have this judgment. Just like the judgment seat of Christ determines rewards, the, this white throne judgment will determine the punishment. Hell will be worse for some than it is for others. But let me say this. The best place in that lake of fire, the best place in hell, is a billion, trillion, non-down-the-line times worse than the lowest place in heaven. And it's hard to put our arms around that, but that's the truth of the matter. So this judgment at the white throne determines their punishment in the lake of fire. Listen to uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever uh, much is given of him shall the much more be required, and of whom Men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. In other words, there are people that heard the gospel, they had a chance to be saved, and they did not receive it. Now, I think it's been God's will in every generation for the whole world to hear the gospel. The reason they haven't is because God's people didn't carry the gospel. It's that simple. Israel, in Exodus nineteen six was called a nation of priests. What did the priests do? They talked to God for people, and they talk to people for God. They didn't become that nation of priests. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 9, as saved people, we're also a royal priesthood. We also had that responsibility. And so we need to understand that that is the call that God has put in place upon our life. In Matthew chapter uh, uh, 10, I believe it is, or uh, chapter 10 and verse 15, we read this. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, this is Jesus speaking in these passages in Luke and Matthew. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire. I mean, when you go over there and you look from Masada and you look out there where it was, it's not okay. And there's a Dead Sea, and it's just nothing there. It was a complete destruction. And as bad as that was for Sodom and Gomorrah, it's going to be worse for the person that's heard the gospel and didn't get saved. You say, why is that when I haven't done those sins like sodomy and things that they were doing? Sodom had a man there that didn't witness. They didn't have the gospel that we have today. Without excuse, the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 11, 24, Jesus again said it. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. These people heard. And those people rejected the gospel. Oh, that's a terrible thing to understand and to hear. There's no place to hide from God. Look back again in verses 12. And 13 where he says, and I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which was the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Understand, death and hell, only Jesus, Revelation 118 has the keys of hell and of death. And he says, and death and hell were delivered up, and the the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. All these people before him. In verse 12 and 13, we're told about books, plural, and a book. They were judged out of the things written in the books, plural. Not the things written in the book. Singular. The books, plural, plural have written the works of your life. Every moment of your life. The book singular is the book of life. Let's listen. Jesus is speaking. But he says, but I say unto you in Matthew five twenty eight, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You guys, you ever look at a woman and say, man, I'd like to be with her. The Bible says that's adultery. That's going to be brought into judgment. Matthew uh, 12, uh, uh, 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Whether it's a cuss word or something else, gossip, whatever it was, you die without Christ, guess what, you're going to be at that, that white throne judgment and you're going to give an account. You see, you died without your sins forgiven. I can sin and get those sins forgiven, and that won't be brought up at the judgment seat. The sins I don't repent of will be. I believe that. Let's go on. Mark seven twenty one through 23. Pay attention to this, as Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, Covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile the man. He said, Well, it's in the heart. Yes. With that thought in mind, all these evil things I just mentioned from Luke uh, Mark chapter seven, verses twenty one through twenty three. Now listen to first Corinthians four five. He says in chapter 4, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. Wow. Remember Mark? All those things in the heart? God's going to make those things manifest. Everybody will see it. Everybody will know it. In James chapter 4, verse 17, Wherefore, him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Saying, you know how to do that. Man, it's so I don't feel like going to this Oh, I, I don't feel like witnessing that person. Oh, I don't feel like uh, doing that work I'm supposed to. Oh, I don't feel like this. I don't feel like that. I'm just going to do enough to get by. Him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Now, that's not because I'm saying it. I believe it. But it's not because I'm saying it, it's because the Bible tells us that. Proverbs 24, 9. The thought of foolishness is sin. Even as a Christian who have been to judgment seat of Christ, 1 Samuel 12 and verse 23, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord. Now notice that. Sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good in the right way. Wow. You see, if we understood how holy God is, we'd understand we're just old depraved sinners that deserve to go to hell. But His grace is so amazing. So mighty. So wonderful. And he can say, because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, Romans 5 and verse 20 tells us. All these things that I've ever said, all these things I've ever thought, all these things I've ever done, everything I've evilly intended, made manifest. Manifest. There's no excuse. You say, well, what's that book of life about? Revelation chapter 3, verse 5 says, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. What does that mean? Don't understand that. Remember, Back to the judgment seat of Christ, where Christians are, the saved are. They'll count the loss. God had a plan for their life. They could have been doing that plan, fulfilling that will. But because they didn't, they'll count the loss. Just think of this. God said, for whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God who would have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Those are all scriptural quotes. You say, well, why are you saying that? Because I believe, through Revelation 3, 5, that book of life, that your name was there the moment you were born. It was there from eternity past. It's not blotted out until you die without Christ or Christ comes back. He was giving you the benefit of the doubt. Now, he knew what you do, but you know what? His foreknowledge does not mean that he makes you do it. He just knows whether or not you will do it, but he had the opportunity there for you. That's why the Bible says that no man is without excuse. No one. And my friend, people talk about the unpardonable sin. All I've heard sermons on it, but really the most unpardonable sin is to die without Christ as your Savior. Nothing can be done about that. And yet, in First John chapter 2, in verse 2 it says, And he is the propitiation. That word propitiation means the entire payment for all time is paid off. The propitiation for our sins. That's a great verse if it stops there, isn't it? <laughs> but it doesn't stop there. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. He paid it off for everybody. For you, for me, he paid it all. Again, how many of those people at the Walmart in, yesterday, in Texas, should I say, in Texas, El Paso, when they got up, knew that that would be the last day of their life. How many people up in Ohio uh, late last night, early this morning, knew that it would be the last day of their life? You think those people in Ohio would have been at a bar? If they knew within seconds they would meet God. The Bible says, prepare to meet thy God. Are you prepared to meet God? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The Bible says, I believe I shared this in our Sunday school class today, in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not uh, prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Jesus answers, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. (laughs) Not that I used to know you, but I don't anymore. No, I never knew you. Wow. They were never saved. They were religious, but not saved. Why? Because it was only he that doeth the will. What is that will? 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but His longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. That is, that not anyone should go to hell. Remember John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. Go to that eternal lake of fire, but have everlasting life. Listen, even the demons at Gadarene ask God, Let us go to those swine. Don't send us to that place before the time. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us, word. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. You say, does repentance mean, okay, I did this and I got... confess every sin that I've ever done? No. We just read a bunch of sins in your heart and everywhere else. We couldn't remember them all, let alone confess them all. Repentance is not due penance. Repentance is realizing, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior, and only Jesus Christ is that Savior. He paid the price, so as Paul preached in Acts 20, 21, repentance towards God. All sin is against God. Even if I do something to someone else because I'm mad at them, I hate him, or whatever else, that sin is still against God, even though I might do something to someone else. All sin is against God. Repentance towards God, faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. He died and he paid the penalty for your sins. He was buried and rose from the dead. And just like marriage, as a matter of fact, the commitment is just that strong. Why do so many couples move in and live together and don't get married? <laughs> that word commitment. When you're coming to Christ, you're coming to a commitment to him. He's Lord, He's head, and you're giving Him your life. The great thing is, He's a great head. He's a good head. He's a loving head. And what He does is for our best. And He gives you everlasting life. All you must do is come. Oh, I hope you'll come today. Let's bow our heads, please.